Be courteous to all, but intimate with few. And let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll cover the presidential primary and other news in our hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. So, Patrick, how is the Republic being challenged this week? I don't think anyone in the world doesn't notice what's going on right now. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. big challenge, obviously, is dealing with coronavirus, and we have to take it from the top. The president's speech on Wednesday night didn't do a lot to reassure the country or the rest of the world. You know, it's interesting. I, I would argue that the challenge, the biggest challenge of the week, it's hard to say this, but is Donald Trump. Because what we're dealing with with the coronavirus, unlike other nations around the world who are have legitimate, uh, who have not legitimate, who have competent leadership in the in their executive branch, who are handling the situation, we don't. And that, to me, is the it's the Corona Trump situation. Well, I think that's what's what was on display in the speech on uh, Wednesday night, and you and I had different. Uh, views of that speech when, originally right after, we did. Right, right after we got the up, moment right, after because right, right. you were looking at it from one direction and i was looking at it from another direction I don't, I don't disagree with with your analysis which was you were saying that you know he it wasn't the bluster or the kind of thing that you might expect from him right right i was expecting him to come out and say here's the media making i mean i i thought he was going to go all the way to that but i don't disagree with your analysis either and the fact that there were numerous numerous facts that have been changed since that speech that came out an hour later clarifications saying things like well no we're not we're not stopping trade with europe uh, which was one of the biggest shocks that we had there's no question it was an absolute yeah. fail on the president's part yeah, last night yeah the, the the words that that were in that teleprompter were not surprising to me because i figured at this point he was not going to go off script because of how serious this was not only to the country but more serious to him because it's obvious from all his tweets over the past couple of weeks that that's what he's worried about. Right. And that he was going to stick to whatever script they gave him for that very reason. Because they will tell him, his, his advisors tell him, you stick to this script to, so it doesn't hurt you. But at the same time, so I, I wasn't surprised by the script. At the same time, he couldn't read the script well in the teleprompter that he was stumbling. Not only are some of the, where some of the facts turned out to be wrong, and, but, but, but you could see that he was not convinced about what he was reading. No. And this is, I was looking at him as a performer. So his, his, his performance is supposed to exude confidence, exude reassurance. And it was clear that he was scared when he was giving that speech. In fact, I was looking at like his right eye seemed to be sort of closed more than usual. Like there was huh. like a squint in his right eye, like he wasn't. Well, he was yeah. also he was also caught. He was catching himself in lies left and right. Right. You know. I mean, he he had to what he was saying to say he believed it. Like when did he start believing it? Because for the last week, two weeks, I mean, his basic thing was it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. Even this morning, ah, the market's going to be fine. It's down twenty one hundred points 
the day after <laughs> that's the crazy thing the right day after he was went on tv to calm the markets to calm the country it did nothing of the sort and well, went in the fact the opposite way the future markets uh, on wednesday night at 9 10 p.m eastern time i.e when he finished his speech the futures markets dropped the 2,000 points predicting what was going to happen uh, on Thursday morning. But he said trade was going to get cut off between Europe, that all, not only people, and he didn't mention until later that actually citizens were going to be able to travel back, um, which was important to say. He he said that all trade was going to be cut off. That actually was in the teleprompter. And I think that they, they didn't really, someone said it wasn't a clarification. It was more of like a rollback of the thought that that was more than they could get away with. Um, you know, they were just throwing spaghetti up against the wall to see what would stick, yeah. and it just didn't stick very well because it was bad pasta. Yeah, but it's it's interesting how he uh, here's a guy who's a consummate performer, but only when he's in his element. Yeah, yeah. But when he's in when he has to move to a different character, he can't play that character. And the character right. that the country sees right now is is the the confident, reassuring president. Other presidents have been able to do that. If you remember, with nine eleven. You know, George Bush's immediate reaction, remember that reaction when he was reading that book to the kids in the in the classroom when he first heard about uh, the attack on the on the World Trade the Center? The second plane landing, yeah. Yeah, and, and you could see his eye, you know, everything just drained out of him. By the time he got on TV later, he knew what his role was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and, and even if inside he was still trembling, uh, he didn't exude that on the outside. He was reassuring, yeah. and and Donald Trump cannot do that, and and that's what we're seeing. So you're right, the the challenge is Donald Trump, but yeah. caused by guess what happens when you have a crisis? Donald Trump can't live up to it. More importantly, I mean, we never thought that he could live up to it. You and I never thought he could live up to it in terms of the actual doing what's needed. But he couldn't even live up to the performance aspect of this of what a president needs to do in this in this situation, which in many ways is as important, if not more important, for keeping the rest of the country calm, keeping the republic safe. I mean, this is how the, you, know, you have faith in the republic. The guy in charge exudes the confidence that you need when you hit a crisis, and that's not and, happening. And he was able to—this is the tricky part—he was able to exude that confidence when he's improving. When he's in improv, it's, it's as an actor, there are some actors who are great actors and they can't do something improv, right? They, they're just, they, they don't have it. I would say I'm not great at improv. Um, and there are improv artists who are not great actors. Well, Trump is a great improv artist, right? He, he can, he's off the cuff and, and he's charming in his own particular way, funny. But if you give him a script that he's got to stick to, he just tightens up and just did a poor a poor job last night. And, yeah. you know, I think the point was the market dropped a thousand points yesterday. They're like, well, let's get out in front of this. And also, let's admit that this is a real problem, that this isn't just going to go away, that it's not just five people and they're all going to get better. I mean, yeah. the, the these are going to, this is really going to hurt President Trump going, this is his Katrina, but it's going to affect not just one city it's going to affect our whole country yeah this is more than katrina this is yeah. this is 9 11 this is his one of his advisors uh, jason miller said this makes trump this is before the speech he said this on twitter this makes trump a war president with the thought that he was going to live up to the challenge and we're seeing yes it does make trump a war president but a war president who's not able to live up to that challenge because he is good at improv, but he's only good at improv when when he's in command of what's going on, and what's going on are not 
necessarily high stakes or high stakes to him. I think that's the key. If, uh, you know, whether we're talking about uh, immigration, shutting down the borders for other reasons before Mm -hmm. coronavirus or any of these other issues that he's talking about, because he doesn't see them as high stakes for him in terms of losing his core support, he can improv on them because he doesn't care. Now he's seeing this as something where he can lose his core support and you can see that he just doesn't have it in him uh, to perform. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big moment. And there was a moment that I shared with you where it was C-SPAN caught the last 15 seconds after the speech was done. And he was sitting there and he says, okay, we're clear. And C-SPAN kept filming and it got out. And he's like, okay. And I just watching him say that, okay, it was, you didn't, you, this is the day where you never wanted this job. Yes. You didn't want this job because this is what the job is actually. Right. This is what it's about. It's not about enriching yourself. It's not about puffing out your chest. It's about handling a tough situation. It's about being a good parent to the nation. And he's an alcoholic parent. We've, I've been saying that since our first episode. We're in episode 33. It's like having an alcoholic father having Donald Trump as the president. Yep. Um, because you never know what you're going to get. And I, I imagine that's what it's like having an alcoholic father. But you never really know how things are going to go. And you can't trust that they're going to be there for you. Uh, and that's where we are right now because the this is extremely serious. I can't imagine that anyone is not catching on to that. <laughs> this is this is serious. This is yeah. this is a big moment. We our children are going to be asked by their children, "What was it like when the coronavirus hit for the first time?" And they will have stories about it because it's going to make a difference. Little league practices are being canceled. The NBA season is being postponed. Major League Baseball is not going to start on time, right. and that's just sports i mean the world is shifting and people need yeah to i mean th- this is it. my my plan for uh working at home for the next few weeks was spending some time watching all the basketball tournament games that i never get to watch uh during regular season. but they're all canceled obviously i don't that's, think that's, those that's are like canceled a, yet though, yeah, I, the big 10 just canceled their tournament just before we started recording okay. this, just as the tip-off was about to happen for the tournament i mean so and that's the smart, by the way, this is the smart thing to do. Absolutely. I was looking back at some of the figures on the 1918 flu pandemic that swept the world at the end of World War One. It was estimated that 500 million people or one third of the world's population became infected. Of that, about 50 million died. So that's about 3% of the world's population died from the flu. That's a huge number. Uh, and they are um, thinking that people who get infected with this, the number could be about the same of those who are infected. Uh, not total world population, but those who are infected. But anyway, I was looking at some of the responses that different cities in the United States had as the flu started coming in in the fall of 1918 into the U.S. And so uh, the city like uh, St. Louis as soon as they had their first case in St. Louis, they shut everything down. Schools were closed. Everything was closed. Parades were called off. Any, any big event was called off immediately. And so they had a small, very small spike that lasted for a couple of weeks. Um, so, but in Philadelphia, they didn't do anything when they had their first case. And there was a big parade in the city where a huge attendance a couple days after their first case. And they had this giant spike. Uh, in infections and deaths. And it went away because basically everybody got it at once, but uh, everybody got it. Whereas in St. Louis, they had a longer term, but it was much smaller in, in terms of its impact. In Denver, 
uh, when they heard when they got the case, they waited a couple days, and then they closed things down. The cases started to drop, then they opened things up again and ended up having more more infections. So the point I'm making about this is that what it looks like is every day you wait is like an increase in 40% in the number of people who are going to get this. So it's not so when somebody in a school gets it and then they decide to close down the school, it's too late. You need to close down everything the first from the first moment that it happens in your community. The first case that's in your community. We we just found out uh, near and by me that uh, there's a huge number of infections, huge by five or six from a party that occurred. Okay, so this is this we just found out about this 2 days ago, March 10th. The party was on February 29th. So it's too late. It's too late now. So every day this is and this is goes back to the leadership of Donald Trump not calling for places where this hasn't hit to start shutting down right now and to to keep it from spreading because the point that you why do you want to keep it from spreading quickly? is because we don't have enough ventilators to treat the people who are going to be really, really sick from this and potentially yeah. die. That's why. You want to slow it down so that people who get really sick can get treated over a longer period of time rather yeah. than a huge number of people getting sick right now and a larger number of them dying simply because we don't have the equipment necessary to treat them all at once. And we also had President Trump gut this this government program am i correct I yes mean, I, yeah yeah in the in the in his original budget i mean they, they've just funded a little over eight million dollars supplemental or eight billion billion, billion billion eight billion dollars supplemental but that's to make up for the fact that they had, a lot of this had been cut from his budget to begin with yeah that's that's not going to play great that's not going to play very well it's going to seem they're they're going to be able to the democrats are going to be able to use the words of the president in regard calling it a hoax saying that it's all going to be under control it's nothing to worry about uh go to work all those things that the president said over the course of the last couple of weeks the the numbers are going to get really ugly on the other side of it look it'd be fantastic if it all kind of just blows away and everybody's fine and that nobody gets it and it sort of stays in these small little clusters but anthony fauci is saying that's not what's going to happen Fauci's saying no no no. if this is going to grow there's no way to stop it at this point now it's about how we handle it so look you know it's hard stuff this isn't fun this is scary stuff where people have parents grandparents you know, children, even though they say it's going to be fine. But what we can do, one thing is in fan, in the fantasy baseball world, uh, the fantasy baseball world is sort of everything's going online. Right. You know, there's, there's no need for us all to be in one room together right now. And we have to do what we can to protect everyone. So, right. you know, it's, it's almost like being at war. Hey, hey, look at what, you know, Jason Miller was right. He's like a war president. And we're, we're like people who need to work on our, for our country on behalf of our country, and, and part you, of that but, is and you've also got to you got to protect the people who are f- financially on knife's edge, and can't do work from home, to work at the Walmart, and rely on that minimum wage check to make ends meet. And if they can't show yeah. up at work, they can't get paid. I, there's there's a whole host of um, of you know tidal effects, tidal wave effects that come out from what's going on right now. And, you know, that's part of the reason I think why the president has not called for this widespread uh, impact because, or widespread shutdown is because the groups that would impact economically if they didn't go to work are the groups that largely are with him 
you know, a part of his core base. The problem oh, is, the problem is, at some point they're going to get hit and get hit hard. Yeah, and they may blame him. That may shift things. That may that may knock them knock President Trump's like guaranteed support down from thirty seven, thirty eight percent. If you have start having family members die and you're starting to look for somebody to blame, it's going to be tough to blame the media because the media is the one who are out there saying this is a problem and we need to take care of it. So, you know, and Tom Hanks has it and uh, Harry Potter, Daniel uh, Radcliffe has it. I mean, it's uh, it's. And I'm just thinking, talk about these uh, actors. I was in Times Square over the weekend. Um, because I was taking my daughter to something that they wanted to do there with that uh, National Hamilton? Ge- no, na- na- no, National Geographic's uh, Ocean Odyssey. Uh, there was a group, uh, friends were going there. So I said that I'd go to that. And then I was working for NBC. So I was at 30 Rock on Tuesday. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, if I've been exposed to it, I've been exposed to it at this point. And I just better stay home and not not expose anybody else. Because what I'm worried about is not me. I'm, if I get it, I'll probably be fine is what if I spread it to somebody else who wouldn't be fined? Yeah. One quick thing that I, I want to get into. The UK is exempt from this ban from Europe. Um, from Because uh, oh, he's canceled all flights to and from Europe because that's going to help. It's not going to help. I mean, no. we're supposed to go to Costa Rica. We're canceling that trip. And we can't even get our money back from JetBlue yet. But I think JetBlue will come through. I'm a big JetBlue fan overall. Um, but UK is exempt from this ban. It doesn't make that much sense because UK has got lots of people with the virus. Yes, and except the UK's got the Trump Turnberry Golf Club, which you, has been trying to, uh, yeah. has been having a problem with uh, uh, getting their uh, customers in. I kind of set you up for that. I gave yeah. you the little, the little setup for the spike. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on. Let's move on. And look, everyone, please stay safe. Uh, understand and do the best that you can. And, you know, we're praying for everybody. Yeah. So um, I got, but, I've got one polling thing on this. Yeah, so that's what we, we move, move, we move on, on to. to the polling stuff. And I've got one polling question so far, and there are going to be more coronavirus. Uh, but the Ipsos poll asked a bunch of questions, as they do, about how Donald Trump handles different things. And they asked this consistency, consistently. So now they've added coronavirus mm-hmm. uh, to this. And so let me, you know, go through some of the other things on domestic issues, on employment and jobs, 51% approve of his performance on immigration, 43% approve. When we get to coronavirus, it's 39% approve and 49% disapprove. Now, this was a poll taken uh, three or four days ago. So that number is going to change. I think that number is going to change a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. So keep in in mind, we won't have mammoth numbers on coronavirus next week. We'll probably the following week. I'll have some stuff on that uh, that we can talk about in this because this issue is not going away. Uh, another thing so- that yeah, another thing is not going away at least right now is Bernie Sanders. Uh, so why don't we switch to the yeah. Democratic primary? Now we get to have a little bit of fun and talk a little bit about what's going on in the political world. Kind of, you know, it's a little bit of the soft. We, we do the challenges to the Republic, but we also get into the horse race a little bit. And there's a the horse race has been going this past week. And boy, what a shocker of a two weeks that this has been. This will go down in history if Joe Biden is the president. I said this last week. Mm-hmm. This These weeks will be discussed about how the Democrats figured out a way to coalesce behind a candidate um and so what do you what do you think yeah so well first of all i got to give you you credit because you had texted me a couple weeks ago as just as the coronavirus was really starting to become the top news and said i think this helps joe biden and the evidence so far has been you're right 
that this has helped Joe Biden. Um, we've seen it in the exit polls. The fact that the coronavirus is there doesn't make people switch to Joe Biden. It confirms their their choice of Joe Biden of we need somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, and let's go into Biden for a second because, you know, I, I think one of the best things that happened to Joe Biden this weekend for his campaign was, was the coronavirus. Not just that it sort of shows how important it is to have an adult in the spot, but also he's terrible in front of a crowd. But you put him up, his speech that he gave Tuesday night with his wonderful, lovely wife next to him, Jill Biden, whom my wife, Nicole, was very impressed at how close Jill Biden was standing next to him. And, she, you know, she, it shows the decency of the man from her perspective. I kind of agree with that. You know, and he was, we talked about, I spent, said this last week, I said it's important for him to start standing still to not try to rouse the crowd, but rather stay still. And this is where it comes from. Lao Tzu has the book, The Art of War. And when I was in my 20s, I was fascinated by this book. And one of the things that stuck in my brain is that when your opponent is making a lot of wild moves, um, stay still. Because you just wait for them to show their opening and their weakness and then attack, you know? And what, what Biden had the opportunity to do, not being in a room in a theater, but rather being on camera, is be that centered, grounded person. Um, and I thought he did a really, really strong job. It was like a film performance, as I said. He was talking about the value of our democracy and that the very democracy is at stake. Um, it was very fortunate. And, uh, and I, I thought it was a good, a really good night for Joe Biden. And people will be surprised to know this. I actually voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016. <laughs> I voted for him against Hillary Clinton in 2016. That was just kind of where I wanted to go. I voted for Hillary Clinton, of course, in the in the 2016 election, and I was very happy to vote for her there. Um, but you know, I haven't. I'm not a big against Bernie Sanders guy. I just think that Joe Biden right now presents the best chance for the Democratic Party to coalesce and beat the virus that's in the White House. Ooh, I don't know if I should have said that, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, it is viral. Uh, so what do you think about uh, Bernie's decision to stay in this race for at least another week, considering there's, there's, there is no chance of him coming anywhere close to the nomination at this point? There's 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 no chance for us to say that there's no chance about anything anymore because there <laughs> was no chance because now I'm going to give my friend we'll go back to this old thing. I wonder if Joe Biden can make it to the finish line. He can't even make it to the early bird special. Well, Chad, you're wrong. He he's making it to the finish line. He made the early bird special. He in fact he had dessert. Uh, he's going out for a post dinner cappuccino. Um, I think it's fair that Bernie Sanders is staying in. I I, I could see how. He would drop out, but I, I would have been surprised if he did. I think it's fair that he stays. I, I don't mind seeing how Biden does. I think it's going to hurt him a little bit. I think this debate, I think Sanders is going to, you know, I think Sanders is going to score at this debate. I don't know if it's going to change anything, but um, I think it's fair that Sanders is staying in. And I'm, I'm glad that the Democratic establishment is not forcing him out. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let's take two things here. So I want to come back to that debate and what you, what you think is going to happen. But first, you know, why I'm saying that there's no chance other than something happening to Joe Biden. Right. You know, there, there's no chance because and you're right. We, we can't rule out anything that could potentially happen anywhere at any time. Uh, but what was was fascinating. So I polled Michigan uh, before the primary on Tuesday. I had polled it last year and I was one of every single poll not last year, 2016. I was one of every single poll in 2016 that got that wrong. Bernie squeaked out a win in Michigan and everybody had uh, Clinton up by 
a significant number. So we're thinking deja vu all over again because we're all abiding up by a, by a, by a significant number. I ended mm-hmm. up being pretty darn close to the actual result. Yeah. But what was important about that was it also told me about some some things about what's going on in November. And the the question though is, and this is what Bernie Sanders was was raising in his speech, uh, where he said he was going to fight on and and participate in this debate is that he seems to want to make Joe Biden move to the left in order to appeal to his base voter, those mm-hmm. young men and liberals. Um, and women. And more, more young, I mean, young women, certainly. Um, but a uh, lar- larger part are young men, mm-hmm. because the, as you start to get a little older, get into your 35 to 40s, the women start splitting from the men in terms of their support for Sanders. But the point being is that Sanders saying, I, c- I control a, a certain segment of this group. And the point of being in that debate, this is at least how I read it, the point of being in that debate is to make Joe Biden recognize that you need to appeal to that group too. And by appealing to that group, it means taking on some of my uh, policy positions. What do you think? Well, it's not going to happen. That's not going to happen to that extent. But my dear friend, Dean Melissa, who is the George Washington at Mount Vernon, he reached out to me yesterday. He said, did you see Bernie Sanders' speech today? He's, you know, and he was talking about Sanders' speech. And he said, I think what he's doing, and I'm not sure I fully agree, but I think there's a part of this that is very much right, is Bernie's giving Joe the questions to the final exam for Sunday so that Joe is prepared to answer every one of these questions. So that he, because there's a difference between Sanders's relationship with Hillary Clinton and with Joe Biden. People seem to like Joe Biden. People who have worked with him, they respect him. They call him decent. They call him a good man. Bernie Sanders says he is my friend, and I would, I, I am going to support him in beating Donald Trump. I believe that more than I ever believed that Bernie felt that way about Hillary Clinton. So if that's what that speech was about yesterday, I, I do, I, I hold out a hope that Sanders is like, let's figure out a way to make this work better because uh, he is the biggest danger to our country in the modern history of America. I still don't understand why he says the, the in the modern history, I don't know what president he's thinking of in the ancient history of America who was more dangerous than Donald Trump. I still can't figure that out. But that's what I, that's what I think Bernie Sanders is doing, is at least to a certain extent, putting yeah. something like that out there. And I think it's true. I, I mean, it was clear. He, he wants to hear something from Joe Biden. The question is, and and it's because we've never seen Bernie do anything like this before. Will he then say what I heard from Joe Biden is acceptable to me, and send that signal down to right. his followers that this is it's okay to go with Biden? I'm okay with this. A signal that he never truly sent with Hillary Clinton. No, not even when he announced her. Right. And so, and and the the advantage of doing it now in March, as opposed to waiting, and that 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 contention. Before the convention, how about that? Come on now, that's pretty good. The contention before the convention. To get rid of all of that where people can just line up behind uh, Joe Biden uh, and Bernie supporting him, he's not going to do Medicare for all. He's not going to say that. What he can say is, I'm not going to veto it. If by some chance, Bernie, you can make this happen and the House and the Senate vote for it, okay, if, if everybody in America thinks it's a good idea, he's going to have to figure out a way to do that without giving Trump and the Republicans the chance to call right. him a socialist. Yeah, I agree with you. That I think that in and of itself is the key, is not to dismiss, hey, no. we, well, we can't get this done, but to say that, that this is an aspiration down the road. I agree. 
that this is something that we need to do. And if we can figure out a way to do it, we'll, but I think that the best way to do it is by steps and that we'll eventually get there. Uh, so Joe, I agree with you. Joe Biden just needs to be ready to, to say it in a way that won't hurt him in November, mm-hmm. but will also assuage Bernie Sanders. Yeah, it's very, but he started that Tuesday night where he thought he thanked Bernie Sanders without saying like, you're done, Bernie, but thanked him and his supporters for their, you know, engagement, and they should be thanked. And there's beauty on that side. And to give Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a tremendous amount of credit, everyone needs to understand that in 2028, she's going to be running for president. She's going to be the front runner until somebody knocks her down. Um, is because she's she's got wisdom along with her passion. She said, obviously, there's a reason. There's something we need to learn here because we're not getting the young vote out to the same level that we thought we were right. going to do. So we need to learn something from this. Right. That's the way that's the way right. you, you grow. Yeah, that's one one of the key things because Joe Biden, you know, mathematically Joe Biden can ignore Bernie Sanders supporters because he doesn't need them to win the nomination and they're not turning out in bigger numbers. Bernie Sanders did not come through on his promise to bring huge numbers of new voters out to the polls. And the kind of voter that supports him is the kind of voter that doesn't vote in big numbers in November anyway. And in fact, when I was looking at my Michigan polling, one of the things that I saw was Joe Biden loses some of the, that Bernie Sanders support, those, those young men under uh, 35. Mm-hmm. But Bernie Sanders, if he were the nominee, would lose a larger number of white suburban women than Joe Biden would lose. So he, Bernie Sanders would lose more likely Democratic voters who had just come over to the Democratic side than Joe Biden would lose from Bernie Sanders' support. So mathematically, he doesn't have to do that. But not only for the good of his own campaign but and for the good of his party, but really for the good of the republic, he needs to try in some way get Bernie Sanders to give that signal like that we're all in this together. Because this is the mm-hmm. only this is not about the policies. This is about the republic surviving. If there's a yeah. big tent party that says we can manage our differences. Then that's, we that's can take that. You got to heal. Van Jones said this on CNN. You got to heal the Democratic Party. You want to be a healer? Heal the Democratic Party first. After you heal the Democratic Party, then you can heal the country. Yeah, I'm all for it, man. That's yeah. that's what because that's, that's your demonstration. You're, if you can heal yes. the Democratic Party, that says I can also heal the country. Yeah. So yeah. F- work at it. And one one other point about Biden. You know, he won every district in Michigan, every single district. Yes, every, every county, district yeah. in Missouri, Missouri and every district in Mississippi. That's impressive. Yeah, he only lost, I think, four or five counties in Idaho. Idaho, which is a, a state that Bernie Sanders won with 70% of the vote in caucuses that they held before. Right. The only state that, that Bernie Sanders won on Tuesday night was North Dakota. Where Has Washington been called? It hasn't been called, but the numbers are coming in for, for, for Biden, Biden because of the mm-hmm. way the vote's being counted. So Biden will win Washington. So Bernie Sanders won North Dakota. You know how many people voted in North Dakota? It's a little over 14,000. 14,000 yeah. people. There are go- more people are going to vote in Guam on Saturday in the Democratic primary there than voted in North Dakota. Um, yeah. So I, that's just a, a silly little side point there. But you know, when, when, when we have big numbers come out, and this is what we saw in Michigan, where was the jump in turnout in Michigan? in those suburban districts that were key to the blue wave in 2018. Yep, that's it. Putting people like Elise Slotkin into Congress. Steve Bullock, former presidential candidate for about 16 minutes, is now running for the Senate in uh, Montana, 
Why? Because it looks like Biden is going to be the nominee. You don't want to run on the coattails of he didn't want to run on the coattails of Bernie Sanders, but on the coattails of Joe Biden, it's a stronger place to come from in Montana. It could change everything in yep. regards to the House and the Senate. It's yep. really quite strong. It's if you're if you're a Democrat, look, but also if you don't if we we as Democrats, if the Democratic Party does not get behind um, figuring out a way to bring the Sanders into the fold, um, we're, there's going to be a problem. And that VP pick, also, so a small little thing. We're getting some uh, really nice uh, ribbing from some of our listeners about how on our last uh, hot take, every time we tend to be going over, right? I'm getting some good ribbing about that. Yep. Here's the deal. Here's, here's our new deal. Hot takes are the same. 90 seconds, 90 seconds, 90 seconds. But on the last one, we're just going to be able to, we can go as long as we want. I think that's what we decided. Right. It's we decide our podcast project. and we, we can we can change the rules whenever we want. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. That's, that's no, 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 no. No, it's, we're, we're, it's our podcast that we're lucky, incredibly fortunate that you, the listener, is taking the time to listen to. And we're asking to sit, we're saying, I hope it's okay, that because we're going to talk about the VP pick at the end. And we really want to talk about that. Like, that's all right, all right, all right. Okay. So all let right, so, us get into our hot takes right now. So this is where good. we take 90 seconds to discuss some of the other topics that are in the news right now. Now, and when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next one. So, first up, the NBA suspended its season. A lot of sports are are calling it off. What do you think? Yeah, we we, we mentioned this briefly. It, it's huge. I mean, it's enormous. It's it, it is a signal of how our country is going to change and is changing right in front of our eyes. Um, I think we had two. We had one Utah Jazz player. Um, who was diagnosed, and it makes perfect sense. You don't want to have uh, uh, an arena with 20,000 people. In the theater in New York, there was recently an usher who just came down with the coronavirus. It's going to close down the. It's going to close down Broadway. The show must not go on. Um, so I, I think it's a sign of where we're going. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I think uh, this is this is tough, but it's already spread too far, and it's going to yeah. keep spreading. Right now, I mean, every, it's everywhere right now, even if people don't realize it. Even if you don't have reported cases in your area, it's already there at this point because of how many people have been moving around the country and doing things. That's why I mentioned it, that, that, that February 29th party, and we found out on March 10th. So and there was a knucklehead who had just been diagnosed with coronavirus who left New York JFK, went down to West Palm Beach on a plane this morning. Oh, knucklehead. Man. And put everybody on that plane at risk because he wanted to get down to Florida so he can recover down there. Well, what are you doing, man? Like, that's yep. that's jailable behavior as far as yep. I'm concerned. It's just selfish. And it, it requires we what we require now in our country more than ever is, is care for the republic. I mean, mm-hmm. let's guard the republic. And this is an intense way to do it. Okay, let's move on to Jeff Sessions. You wanted to talk about Jeff Sessions because the president, the president just endorsed not Jeff Sessions, but Tommy Tuberville. Tuberville, Tuberville. Tuberville, yeah, the former coach of... Oh, Auburn, 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 maybe. Yes, yes, yes. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good enough for me. So Alabama. Uh, so the Alabama primary uh, was last week. Uh, the primary, not just for president, but also for the Senate seat. Uh, that's up. Doug Jones, right? Up Doug against Jones. former Guardian of the Week, Doug, Doug, Doug Jones. Jones. So Jeff Sessions, who used to hold that Senate seat before he became attorney general for a short time, decided he wanted to get it back. Sure. And so he ran in a primary, but you have to get over 50% of the vote in the primary, and he didn't. So the top two vote-getters go move on. Uh, Jeff Sessions was actually the second vote-getter. Tommy Tuberville 
former uh, college football coach, was the number one. So Jeff Sessions all along has been saying, I've never said a bad word about Donald Trump. Uh, I, you know, I'm wow. fully with Trump. I don't, you know, I don't hold against him anything that, you know, him, anything that he's ever said about me and this. And he's just kissing Donald Trump's backside. And guess what Donald Trump does? Yeah. That Jeff Sessions I, is a joke. We need to finish him off. Tommy Tuberville will do it. Because I recuse myself from supporting Jeff Sessions is what he's saying. Yeah. The only sad part about it for me is that Kate McKinnon did a really funny Jeff Sessions on Saturday Night Live. Yes, um, and I I will miss that impression. But listen, if you go to if you go to bed with Donald Trump and you expect that he's going to kiss you in the morning, he's not. And I think that's what we've just yeah. Learned. That's a lesson lesson to anybody who's been kicked out of the Donald Trump circle and tries to get back into it. Jeff Sessions, just look at Jeff Sessions. Andrew Yang endorses Biden on CNN Tuesday night, I thought in an important moment, actually. Um, and now I was talking about running for mayor of New York City, which I think Jeff Zucker from CNN also wants to run for, so that'll be interesting. What do you think of the Yang gang? Yes, um, talk about modeling behavior. So Andrew Yang has done some frat boy stuff during his campaign, and we saw that with the... Uh, and there's been some reports about, some comments about women and so forth in, in his past life. Uh, but... Huh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, but I but I think it's a part of he, he was he was a punk as a kid, <laughs> and I think that that huh. kind of carried over. But he always seemed to realize when when you're stepping over the the edge, and I think that's what his endorsement of Biden comes from that place. He always modeled for his followers the behavior of okay, we're upset with the media because we don't think we're getting good enough coverage, but. You don't diss the media. Something a different tactic than Bernie Sanders has taken. He's always kind of sent that signal. So I think he set himself up well, and we've talked about him a lot for being a player in the Democratic Party. And this endorsement of Biden says the same thing. Now I mentioned to you, I think, in a, in a prior podcast a few few weeks ago, uh, look for him for NYC mayor. And now we're starting. To, and now we're starting to see this uh, real talk about this come up. Yeah, we'll see. I, you know, I think New York City mayor is a job that people like a lot. I wonder if de Blasio, is this his third year, third term? Is he in his third term already? No, second term. Second yeah, term. But, so you wonder, is he going to run for a third? Because who needs No, him? I think I think uh, Bloomberg was able to do that because they changed the charter, but I think they've changed the charter back, so, Blue, so de Blasio can't do that. Good. So could be Yang. All right, let's move on to... Elizabeth Warren. So Elizabeth Warren was the last major candidate to drop out, and she has yet to endorse anybody. What do you think mm, about that? I want to talk about this a lot. Uh, only 90 seconds. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. So uh, the article came out yesterday, and one of Warren's uh, surrogates was saying, no, she's not going to endorse. And part of the reason she's not going to endorse is because she doesn't think it's going to work. And so she doesn't want to waste her endorsement on Bernie Sanders. So that was one of the things they said. But they also said that the behavior of Sanders and his supporters over these last months really poisoned the well for Elizabeth Warren. And she didn't want to do it. She did not want to get behind him. And maybe that would have been a critical decision. You know, it's like it, that may have shifted things. Uh, if she didn't have a little bit of enmity towards Bernie Sanders, because she, by not endorsing Sanders, she kind of endorsed Biden, don't you think? Yeah, I, one of the things we're looking at is white college women, uh, white women with a college education in these primaries this past Tuesday. What did they do? Because they were uh, a huge chunk of them were backing Elizabeth Warren. Would they go to, to Bernie Sanders? They, they seem to like Bernie Sanders. Well, it seems that more of them ended up going to Joe Biden than to Bernie Sanders. In the mm -hmm. end, they didn't get a signal from Elizabeth Warren which way to go, so they made up their own minds. 
so yeah, I do, I do think that that definitely had an impact. I think when the book is written about these times, this Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders conversation on the debate stage at CNN, where she said, I think you just called me a liar on exactly. national TV. I think that moment is going to come back. Yep. Ooh, here comes right. the long one. All right. This is our, so, this is our rule breaker. Uh, Excited. Barring, Excited. barring any, any unforeseen circumstances, Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee. So now our speculation turns to... Who does he choose as his running mate? Ooh, come on now. So James Clyburn came out this past week and he said, yo, you know, I'll tell you what I think, sir, is you should be getting an African-American female on that ticket. And as we can agree about Mr. Clyburn, without Mr. Clyburn, I don't know that Joe Biden is in this position. Do you think that that has enough sway to knock Biden into saying, all right, well, that's definitely what I need to do? I I think it, it definitely has some sway. And... I've been saying that all along. It's it's definitely going to be a woman, mm-hmm. from my point of view. This, mm-hmm. is, this is just my point of view. I agree. And again, I agree. you know, as a as, you know, a lot of people, a lot of reporters ask me about this, and I say, look, I'm a pollster. I poll voters. I don't poll candidates. And it is only up. To, and at the end of the day, it's up to one person, and you got to get inside that person's mind. But having looked at how the party has changed, and how it's really been put, the gauntlet has been thrown down. That, that the Democratic Party is diverse. If you don't have some sort of diversity on that ticket, yeah. that's going to be problematic. And then you say, so if you got a, a first you're starting with a man, so you need a, a woman, and then you, you don't have anybody representing uh, a community of color, I think, you know, what Clyburn is saying is just really the reality of, at the end of the day, we have to reflect who we are as a party and, as, and a 70-something-year-old white guy doesn't do it. You need to you need to balance that. Yeah, I mean, I have a close friend who uh, says Klobuchar should be the person because she's going to help with the Midwest, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, you know, Minnesota. Um, I don't agree. I, I think that Biden has to be able to cover that spot. The, my friend also argued, why does Joe Biden need to have an African American running mate when he can clearly? Oh, and I want to talk about this about Biden. I read this article, uh, this thing where it was said that the reason he is so well regarded in the African American community is here is a white man who spent eight years as the second to an African-American man, never questioning his place. Yeah. So Biden has... That's a, that's a good point. That's a really it's a, good point. Yeah, that that's why the African-American community looks at him and goes, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good guy, because he's willing to take second place to a man of color, which mm-hmm. other white people wouldn't have been as comfortable doing, right? So that struck very, very true to me. So Biden has the ability to get that African-American vote and get it out, but... The person I still say, to me, it comes down to two. Uh, and let me let me just say something about that. Okay, go ahead. Is, is that, remember, Hillary Clinton won the African-American vote by huge margins in the 2016 primary, but they didn't show up in November. Right. Well, so yeah, but that, they're that, going to show up for Biden. Yeah, I think, I think that's part of the argument, though, that you want to you ensure that they do show up. They're showing up. I mean, they, they, the African-American community, it seems, sees Donald Trump as a danger to them. Um, with yeah. white nationalists, but anyway, I, I interrupted you. You were throwing a name out there. Okay, so I got there's a, to me there's three names that are on the list. One of them I'm kind of cast aside pretty quickly. One I respect, but I don't think is the choice. And then one who, as of today, I would I would think is the most appropriate choice. And I don't think you agree with me. All right. Val Demings is up. Val Demings is the one that I'm going to say no. Con- let's have Congress, her, Congresswoman from Florida. From Florida, let's have. Um, Let's have her do it. Let's have her run against Marco Rubio. 
<laughs> Let's do that in the Senate in Florida. She's great. She's took some huge steps forward. She's just recently gotten into the House. Uh, she did a fine job on the Intelligence Committee and in the impeachment uh, hearings. But no, uh, Kamala Harris would be an obvious choice. Uh, I don't love it because of the the combination of the crime bill and her being the attorney general. She's good at calling people to the carpet, um, but still, as we noticed, not the best campaigner, not great on the stump, and neither is Biden. The person that I'm pointing at is a person who, on that campaign, on that stump, can inspire like Obama, and that is Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor, a New Deal leader, which is the good thing for me. Um, she, she ran for Georgia, did not win, but is a star in the Democratic Party and would be, I think, just a human of substance and would really do great. So it, as of today, I'm saying that if we follow the Clyburn image, it should be Stacey Abrams. From what I've heard uh, from reporters who've covered, covered her gubernatorial race in 2018 in Georgia and others that Democrats in Georgia just love her, just have a huge respect for her as a potential leader of the party uh, in the future. My only, the only drawback that I see is that she didn't win that race. I get it. And not, not because she didn't win, but because the only office that she hold has been a state legislature. I get it. And if she had been a senator or she had been a governor yeah. and she had a, a year or so of that under her belt, I think yeah. that would make her a stronger candidate. And that's why I think Kamala Harris at this point okay. seems to have the inside track on on that because uh, she was an attorney general and she, or, and she was a, a she is a U.S. senator. So she, she I just know ticks a, ticks a number of those boxes. I, I respect that. I just Donald Trump didn't have even the state legislature on her on his resume. She's a star. Stacey Abrams speaks and people want to listen. She also has a belief about herself. Um, she, yep. she is a manifester that she's going to be the first uh, female president. She's going to be the first Af uh, female African-American president. She knows it's going to happen. I respect that. And I like her. Um, that's that's my choice this week. Uh, it may be different next week. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's where I, I, I agree with you on, on that point. As I think that as a campaigner, as somebody out there, that she could have a lot of appeal. Because guess what? If if you any black person, if you're a racist, you're not going to vote for that ticket. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Kamala Harris or Val Demings. Or, a if you're, or if you're a white person, I'm sorry, right, you mean. Yeah, if, you're, if you're a white person and you're a racist, right, person, you're not going to vote for that ticket. Right, you're not going to vote for the ticket. It doesn't matter. What the, yes. what they are right, so I and I think Stacey Abrams is a strong campaigner who really would appeal to quite a few people across the board. Yes, including I think including the Bernie people. That's why right. it's so including important. the Bernie people, including those uh, white moderate women in the suburbs. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's I, why yeah. because Kamala is more Kamala has some you know, cred on the far left, but Abrams has more. She Abrams didn't... Let, let's let Kamala be the Attorney General of the United States. I'm all for that. She's perfectly qualified for that job. Let her run for president again as she gets a little bit older and a little bit better on the stump. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not saying I don't like Kamala. I'm not saying that if it is Kamala, I'm going to be like, oh, that's too bad. We're going to lose. No, I'm not saying that. I just I like Abrams. I just think that there's magic there. And if we have the simplicity and the strength of Joe Biden with a little bit of magic on the side might be quite helpful. All right. All right. So let's move on to our Guardian of the Week segment. Uh, this is where we try to look for somebody who's putting their own political or personal 
fortunes aside uh, to defend the Republic. And we've got a couple of themes uh, this week. So first up, you've got uh, somebody that you spotted out in Michigan. Yeah, so it's a Michigan mayor, Michael Taylor from Sterling Heights, Michigan, who voted for Trump in 2016 and came out and basically said, no, no, I'm supporting Joe Biden. He's a Republican um, in Michigan who's saying it's unacceptable how President Trump handles his business. I will not support him and I'm going another way. That That's a good sign of what centrist Republicans um, are going to do perhaps all over this country. Right. And our other one that, and I agree with you on that, and our other one is uh, Tony Fauci, Anthony Fauci, who you know, uh, have met. Um, I was impressed by his testimony in front of Congress uh, this past week where he's asked, well, how many cases will it be for coronavirus? And he said, I can't give you a number. He says, what do you mean you can't give me a number? He said, if we don't do anything to mitigate this, then it's going to be one number. If we do something to mitigate it, it's going to be a drastically different number. Mm-hmm. And I can't sit here and give you a number unless I know what the government's going to do. This is somebody in the government who's responsible for dealing with these issues. And he's basically telling off you know, the government and Donald Trump by uh, as well. You got to deal with this thing. Yeah, he's a, he's a, and he came out and said that it's unacceptable that there aren't enough tests yet. So Tony Fauci, he's been in that job for for decades, and thankfully is still in that job. And uh, we're we're very fortunate to have him. I, I I I would love it if he would be out front more, and if they would let him be the spokesperson, because we can trust that he's not just looking to what's going to appeal to the president's ego. He's coming out to tell us the facts and the truth. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our final thought. Uh, Patrick, you have something new from IBM. What's the news? Yeah, well, I just I just saw this and I thought uh, this is finally coming to fruition. So as a kid uh, growing up, I used to watch Star Trek and the, the coolest thing on Star Trek was you just had to say the word computer and then you could have a conversation with the computer back and forth. And... Uh, IBM now has their their Watson computer that can play chess and do all the, and play Jeopardy and all those other things. They are now developing voice recognition and not only voice but colloquialisms. Like it knows what opening a can of worms means, and it can have an actual conversation with you and actually have a debate with you on issues. Uh, so artificial intelligence is coming, folks, and it's you know we're 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 getting there, and so maybe we'll get to the point where they can also tell us things like how to keep safe from coronavirus as yeah, well but well, uh, it's we're, we're getting to that point it's 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 right around the corner yep okay well that's it for this week's edition and i i just want to say that was a lot of fun talking yes. to be in the hot topics and be able to go along i know i'm going to get a couple of you know what the heck but hopefully you enjoyed it um and it was fun to do um so that's it for this week's edition of guardians of the republic if you have any comments or thoughts for the show please do reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians OTR. And remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. And please, please, please give us a rating. Tell your friends and family. Uh, That'll help uh, others find us and enjoy the same thing that you've been enjoying all along. And you can also check out our website for past episodes at guardians-republic.com. Thank you for joining us. And we will be back with a new episode next week. See ya. See ya.